0: if you disagree with anything we talk about you are a racist and no better than hitler what let's get started so a couple of the biggest events over the last year at least in the financial world have been the unprecedented amount of money printing and spending by the united states government and the meteoric rise in the price of bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies like virtually all Assets, Bitcoin suffered a dramatic fall to around $4,000 in March 2020 in response to the FUD caused by the pandemic. The cryptocurrency, however, then skyrocketed all the way to an all-time high of $64,000 in mid-April of this year. And although it's currently suffering from some downward momentum, many expect it to resume its upward trajectory pretty soon. While all this was happening, the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve Decided to flood the economy with more dollars in an attempt to prop it up. As a result of that, the money supply in the United States increased by about 34%. In other words, one third of all the US dollars that are around today did not exist 16 months ago. These two events are connected, they're not a coincidence. While it is true, a good deal of Bitcoin's price action is due to the fact that we are coming off of a halving. Essentially, once every four years, the amount of Bitcoin produced a day gets cut in half until all the Bitcoin are mined. The halving is not the central reason why Bitcoin adoption has rapidly increased and become more mainstream over this last year. Today, 46 million Americans, about 17% of the US adult population, now own Bitcoin. As many may know, for the first time, we're seeing multi billion dollar publicly traded companies, institutions, hedge funds. Billionaire legendary investors like Stanley Drunkenmiller, Paul Tudor Jones, Ray Dalio, Carl Icahn, all of whom were once skeptical about Bitcoin, assert that the cryptocurrency deserves a weighting in their portfolio. The reason for the recent adoption of Bitcoin is that institutions and people like are seeking an escape from the devaluation of the US dollar. What many are starting to realize is that these irresponsible spending policies are eroding the value. Of working people's wealth, all the while central banks are tossing out money faster than the cracked out Hunter Biden in the Tijuana whorehouse. The US government, for example, has already spent six trillion dollars since the start of the pandemic, which is about two trillion more than the United States spent during all of World War II, even after adjusting for inflation. Although modern economies, including the US, have advanced this insane Keynesian-inspired economic policies for decades. It's clear that this freakish amount of spending, which, by the way, is accelerating and climaxing faster than Jeffrey Tubin on the Zoom conference call, can't last like this. The fiscal and monetary expansionist policies, which, again, are supported by these left-wing Keynesians, exacerbate income inequality by inflating asset prices, which benefit the wealthy, while devaluing the wages and whatever cash savings that working people are able to scrape together. Now, the true level of inflation that has resulted from all this is not really showing up in the Consumer Price Index or CPI, which is the main statistic used to and evaluate inflation. Why isn't the CPI producing an accurate reflection of inflation? Well, it's because the CPI is absolute utter bullshit. You see, in the late 1970s, up until 1980, we had significant inflation in this country. It went as high as 14%. Why did we have so much inflation? Well, because earlier in that decade, President Nixon finished a process that FDR started, which was to unpeg the U.S. dollar from gold. Not surprisingly, this decision to delink the dollar from gold basically assured that the government was no longer constrained in how much money it can print or spend or inject into the economy. What did the government officials do in 1980 to deal with the remarkable double-digit inflation that the U.S. was experiencing, you ask? Well, they changed the scoreboard and altered the way the CPI was measured. They changed it from a cost-of-goods index to a cost-of-living index. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that, so the CPI was created to analyze the change in price of a basket of goods and services that the government felt is representative of what a uh, average American buys. So the calculation the CPI used was called a cost of goods index. And it was pretty straightforward. It was pretty fair. Basically, if a bag of, say, roasted brand coffee like Starbucks went from $10 to $12, and the cost of filet mignon went from $20 to $22, and the cost of a new car went from $20,000 to $22,000, the CPI would measure that change and say, okay. There was a 10% inflation this year. In 1980, as the inflation was hitting these record highs, they changed it to the cost of living index. So basically the government would say, oh yeah, you know that Starbucks roast coffee that you guys really enjoy that went from $10 to $12? Uh, you know, this crappy tasteless coffee is still about 10 bucks, and you could just substitute that. So the price of roasted coffee hasn't changed. And the filet mignon, which was $20, now $22. But you can substitute that for T-bone steak, which you can get for $20. So that price hasn't gone up either. Oh, and you know, that new car went from $20,000 to $40,000, 100% increase. But the quality of the vehicle has doubled. So we're going to say that there was no increase in that price either. So inflation is 0%. Then a couple of years later, the CPI became even more problematic as it no longer even took into account the price of homes. Think about how insane that is. Homes are basically the most important purchase for American families. But if home values, say, double or increase like 100% in five years, as they've they've been doing basically in every city that people want to live in, that won't show up in the CPI calculation either. If we were using the traditional pre-1980 CPI today, we would determine that inflation is somewhere between 10 to 12%. That's the real inflation rate. That's a tax on all of you. And it's a regressive tax that hits poor and middle class people the hardest. So when you're wondering why things have gone up so much, why home prices are increasing far greater than the quoted rate of inflation, it's because the way inflation is measured is a complete scam. You can see that in home prices and other assets, like we said. So Santa Barbara, for example, the highly oppressive and racist community that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry are forced to live in had an 83% increase in home prices in this last year. Palm Beach and many parts of Southern California, where home prices have been increasing by basically double-digit percentage points for every year for a while now, had a 25% increase this year in home prices. The S&P 500 index returned 32% in the last 12 months, and the NASDAQ index returned 40%. So as you can see, the dollar is massively, depreciating relative to these and other assets due to the policies we discussed. So what is the solution for all this madness, you ask, because it can't continue? Ask the people of Venezuela or Argentina or Zimbabwe how it feels to see your hard-earned money wiped away by irresponsible government policies. The best and most promising solution for this and so many other problems can be found in Bitcoin. Why? Well. If the goal is to enrich the citizens of your country, or at the very least enable the working people of your country to maintain their purchasing power and standard of living and allow them to save for the future, you need hard money. A fundamental characteristic of money throughout history is that money had to be hard for it to be valuable. In other words, if it was difficult to produce new units of that money, it was considered hard money. If the supply could easily be increased, it was considered easy money. And thus, not as valuable. In contrast to basically all the government currencies that are around today, which, as we said, are not backed by anything and there's no real constraints in increasing their supply. Bitcoin is the hardest money ever made. Short of sleeping with Harvey Weinstein or working at an Amazon warehouse. Bitcoin is a protest. It offers people all over the world for the first time. An opportunity to opt out of destructive government policies that lead to the financial ruin of its citizens. With Bitcoin, no longer do you have to worry about your savings being wiped away because a politician wants to print more money to pay for a new highway. Or a statue of Macon Rapanau, uh 69ing Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> what, you have a problem with that, you homophobe? Because I don't. Bitcoin also resets the exploitative relationship that government imposes on its productive individuals who happen to live on its soil. Governments can't steal your Bitcoin. They can't confiscate it. And if and when they become too oppressive, and they've had a history of doing since, well, the beginning of civilization, you can take your money and run. You can go anywhere, travel anywhere in the world with your Bitcoin, and no one will know if you possess a dollar of it or a billion dollars of it because the access to your money is secured by a password in your head. Recently, El Salvador became the first country to accept Bitcoin as an official currency. And they certainly will not be the last. And this is a great thing for the world. If there's anything that this recent pandemic has shown all of us, it's that government control and authoritarian directives that we didn't even think were possible, can be enacted in the blink of an eye. Today, 53% of the world lives under authoritarianism, according to the Human Rights Foundation. At the end of the day, their main piece of control over you, and the same thing goes for the democracies, is that they can control your livelihood. But Bitcoin offers an escape from that. If ordinary people are able to instantly shift their entire wealth and net worth to Bitcoin, A reliable and secure piece of code, which, by the way, has appreciated like 200% a year on average. Governments will have to actually compete to provide services and things that people like and want. If they fail to do so, the citizens will be empowered to move somewhere else and take their life savings and all future potential tax dollars with them. As the old saying goes, when the people fear their government, it's tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. Bitcoin advances liberty. In addition to being a force against oppressive governments, Bitcoin also undermines Wall Street and the dubious financial institutions that today, more and more, control the entire modern economy. Entities like PayPal and Stripe and Shopify have shown us that they will shut you down if you have the wrong political opinions. MasterCard and Visa recently disabled one of the most popular websites of all time, Pornhub, from having the ability to process transactions using their products. And every reasonable-minded person surely knows that these cancellations are going to become manifest with respect to the banks, which are already quasi-government entities at this point, and will do whatever is asked of them by the people in power who really control them. It's just a matter of time before one of the four big banks that we have left says, yeah, you know, you're politically toxic, so we're not going to let you use our services. On the other hand, you don't have to worry about being canceled or censored by Bitcoin. But look, uh, Bitcoin's not without its critics. And the in vogue critique right now is that Bitcoin is destroying the environment. You know This argument, by the way, often comes from people who have no problem with major US cities being overrun by homeless encampments and inundated with trash and filth and looking worse in third world countries. But let's consider it for a second. Our favorite fake Native American, Elizabeth Warren, who by the way, is genetically whiter than Hitler, recently echoed this claim that Bitcoin was contributing to the destruction of the planet. This is just such nonsense. First of all, about 75% of Bitcoin miners already use renewable energy. And as Michael Saylor, so eloquently put it, CEO of MicroStrategy, the world generates about 162,000 terawatt hours of energy per year. Of that 50,000 terawatt hours, about 30%, it's completely wasted. Bitcoin uses a total of 110 terawatt hours. So it's about one-tenth of 1% of the global energy. That is all that is needed to provide economic self-preservation for people all over the planet. I think it's a pretty good deal, right? And while none of this should be construed as financial advice, rather than demonize Bitcoin under false narratives, freedom-loving people should embrace it. Yes, there's volatility in its price. But more so than almost anything else, Bitcoin has the potential to preserve wealth, provide property rights, and promote liberty for people all over the world. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks again, and we will be back next week. Oh, man. And probably sex robots. We stand for a free and open debate and exchange of ideas. And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.